0: Please stand by. We'll be streaming live soon. Let me welcome you again to Bible study time here with Rick Bonson Ministries. I'm Gene Thomas. I'm going to walk with you through some interesting verses in the New Testament here from 2nd Peter, I'm I'm sorry, 2nd Timothy, chapter 3, we're going to be doing a broad overview of that that chapter this morning, because it's all contextual, it all relates each to the other, and we wouldn't want to just pick it to pieces just yet, We'll take a look at the whole thing, and then perhaps come back and look at some key verses there at some other time, but... Today, we're going to just go through that wonderful third chapter of 1st Timothy. But before we begin, let us have a prayer together. Let us pray. Gracious God, we just thank you for this opportunity to sit together and study your Holy Word. Bless us now with a deeper understanding of it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, folks, we're going to, as I said, look at the third chapter of First Timothy. We're going to be thinking about how we can look at it, and the first way to look at it, of course, is the one way of looking at it is to see it into two parts. There are two basic parts to this this third chapter. First part is the part that talks about the qualifications of Church leaders and the standards that a church officer might be held to, because remember now this this letter is addressed to a pastor whose name is Timothy from a poor reported from Paul, You're giving him instructions as to how he thinks the church should be about its business, be about its leaders, and we're touch, this morning touching right down. Onto the leadership of a of a church in the mind of this early community, but it's a, it applies to all of us. It's not just about uh, bishops or deacons or whatever. It's it's about us as Christians. So I'm going to read that to you, that third chapter from the Living Bible of First Timothy, chapter three, verse one. It's a true saying that if a man wants to be a pastor, he has a good ambition. For a pastor must be a good man whose life cannot be spoken against. He must have only one wife and be hardworking and thoughtful, orderly, full of good deeds. He must enjoy having guests in his home and must be a good Bible teacher. He must not be a drinker or quarrelsome, but he must be gentle and kind and not be one who loves money. He must have a well-behaved family with children who obey quickly, quietly. For if a man can't make his own little family behave, how can he help the whole church? The pastor must not be a new Christian, because he might be proud of being chosen so soon. And pride comes before fall. Satan's downfall is an example. Also, he must be well spoken of by people outside the church, those who aren't Christians so that Satan can't trap him with many accusations and leave him without freedom to lead his flock. The deacons must be the same sort of good, steady men as the pastors. They must not be heavy drinkers and must not be greedy for money. They must be earnest, wholehearted followers of Christ, who is the hidden source of their faith. Before they are asked to be deacons, they should be given other jobs in the church as a test of their character and ability. And if they do well, then they may be chosen as deacons. Their wives must be thoughtful, not heavy drinkers nor gossipers, but faithful in everything they do. Deacons should have only one wife. They should have happy, obedient families. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded both by respect from others and also by developing their own confidence and bold trust in the Lord. I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I don't come for a while, you'll know what kind of men you should choose as officers of the Church of the Living God which contains and holds high the truth of God. It is quite true that the way to live a godly life is not an easy matter, but the answer lies in Christ, who came to earth as a man, who proved spotless and pure in his spirit, was served by angels, was preached among the nations, was accepted by men everywhere, and was received up again. To his glory in heaven. And there the lesson. For today. At First Timothy chapter 3. My goodness. Think of it. A long time ago. Church leaders were held to standards. So high. Magnificent. But very very high. Think of character rather than qualifications or specific standards, such as, say, seminary, or whether or not someone happens to be likable, or whether or not someone is charismatic or not. Don't think that way. Think in terms of virtuous character. Now, virtue and character thereof is born and raised in greek in greece it is a it is a it, 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 the the time of philosophers socrates preceded the time of christ and the idea of being virtuous and what virtue meant what character meant was already in the world people knew these things this was nothing new the thought that a leader needed to be be virtuous and have a high sense of moral standard and ethical excellence, was not new. But Paul takes these high ideals, then he filters them and stretches them over what he perceives to be necessary for someone to perhaps be a lead pastor in this place where Timothy was sent. Maybe Timothy was being prepared to be a senior pastor over other pastors in other many churches, but we don't know. But what we do know is that they were held to a high standard. And I want to go over those with you. In the first part of this examination of Third Timothy, we're going to look at the qualifications for the leaders, deacons and bishops. But then we're going to go on and take the second part of the third chapter the tail end of it and we're going to remember that that was a a, a, some kind of a liturgical expression was attached to this some sort of a mystery of godliness some sort of a creed we've got one here boy that's important for us to get a grip on because this was what the early church here that timothy was located in was 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 believing was behind Well, to to, to qualify as an overseer, which is a word that the Greek uh, has behind it, uh, for bishop. Let's look at that one first. That appeared to be a higher calling or a different calling from a deacon. Those two are in there, deacons and bishops, or overseers, they call it. Deacons are called servants. Now, the ethical admonition to both bishops and deacons are the same in some spaces. Other spaces are not. We're going to look at where they somewhat come together. Where those traits are held in common as important for anybody who's leading the church. First thing is family of one wife. What what kind of man should have one wife? Well, you would think that that would be Uh, a no-brainer, but the the truth of the fact is that what is probably meant by that is something a little deeper. Something to do with lustfulness and and being aware that this person who you choose as your leader, if he's a man, must be a one-woman man. Let me let that sink in. Quotation marks. A one- woman man. That is to say that he doesn't run around, a fool around. He's, he doesn't lose his place among manhood by being a one-woman man. Look for that. Well, look for the fact, too, that this discussion begins in a matter of households. They're talking about a, not a big church on the side of the road somewhere, the, but a, but a small household body of Christians. Where everybody probably knows everybody, everybody's close to each other, and there probably weren't very many of them. But this raises a question, an interesting thing, because you're going to see that the preacher's wife is an important part of the equation of a good Christian leader, a preacher's wife. There's power in that. There's power in that function, always has been. But we've never known quite how to to, uh, structure it. We just know it's there. We just know it exists. I remember when I was a young preacher starting out, and all the district superintendents, when they came to conference, would put their wives in one particular place on the benches above the rest of them and give each one of them a corsage. That was because they deserved it. They'd been through a year in the ministry with their husbands, and stood by them and been with them. And they were just as significant, if not, more so. Reason? You remember last time we talked, we talked about First Timothy chapter 2. We talked about the difference between women and men and the way they think. Well, hey, let me give you a little something to help you with that. As a preacher by the name of Mark Gungor, G-U-N-G-O-R. He's a pastor, has a video on YouTube called, a Tale of Two Brains. He On that, tells about the difference between a woman's brain and a man's brain. They significantly interplay each other in a wonderful, mysterious way. I'm going to let that go. But l- let me assure you that this business of being a family and a one-woman man or a one-man woman is there for us to consider. The other thing that they hold in common is drinking. Be careful of that, it says. Be careful of the heavy it's used. Heavy. Be sure that, it, that you don't become addicted, get carried away by strong drink. Uh, it happens. It happens particularly in the ministry because there are times when we will do anything in our power to forget what has happened to us in our day. Let me repeat that. A Christian pastor that's catching hell, people dying, people sick, telephone ringing all day long. Man, when he gets free of that, he'll do anything so he can sleep. And Most often, it's right here. The sin of imbibing too much is right there. It's self-serving and it's not good. So both deacons and bishops are warned. You got somebody in the congregation that is Overdoing that, chances are real good they're not going to make a great Christian leader. The third thing they hold in common is greediness. Be careful about someone who happens to be greedy. Now, what how you, what does that mean? Well, it means gluttonous. You, you can sometimes spot gluttony before you can spot greediness. If somebody wants the whole apple pie instead of a slice, you, you might want... <laughs> You might want to think about that character a little bit. They sit down at the table and eat a whole apple pie. You know, <laughs> ah, you might, you might like apple pie, but something is a little off there. And, and that, too, is self-serving, a self-serving way. Now, here we're going to look at the specific traits that I see of, of, a, of a bishop. or An episcopoi is the word used in Greek. We use it to get make the word episcopal, which means bishop. In the the traits of the shepherd, the high shepherd of a congregation, Timothy, he's the high shepherd. These are traits he needs to have. He needs to be vigilant. He needs to be wakeful. He needs to be circumspect to what's going on ahead of him, what has gone on behind him, and what's going on on either side of him, what's going on above him, and look out for the bad boy from below. He's got to be circumspect all the time got to be bold and this is why Timothy is in particular encouraged over and over there's some sense here that Timothy may have lacked courage in some way and may perhaps in some situation he would he need to be strong and stubborn but he folded so he needs to be bold what, what what that means is he needs to be blunt Say it tell it like it is whether it's like they want to hear it or not. Uh, and be plain about it. Be plain. Don't use big fancy words just because you can. Be be very very plain about that. About that that boldness. Be hospitable. Be hospitable. Be brotherly, brotherly. You know, a good pastor is brotherly and generous. If the day is long, uh, not somebody who can't teach. Uh, a good teacher and a good preacher are two different things. You will find that a good preacher is often a good teacher, but not always true. So the, the teaching aspect of preaching needs to be examined at the same time that the preaching of a preacher is examined. Maybe a good preacher, but not a good teacher. It could be that they don't know what they're talking about, but they're making it look like they do. See, So this is for the selection of leaders in a local church. bishop shouldn't be a striker. In King James Version, says striker, but that means not necessarily meaning he's going to hit somebody, but it, it may mean that, but it means more that he's quarrelsome, that he or she is, is not happy unless there's some contention going on, some pugnacious, pugilistic kind of attitude where you get into You can't talk to them unless they don't come up with the same issue over and over and want to fight about it time and time again well see as a Christian leader that's going to be a problem because that person will be unapproachable you you, you, you know and and not good and they have to be patient They have to be patient but that means mild and, and gentle uh, at, at the same time you can you can be you can be bold and be gentle with it you can have a strong word, but a, but a soft word, a gentle word at the same time. Be patient. That, that here is sort of a, a virtue. But you know in other chapters it's indicated to be a gift of the Holy Spirit. Patience is, is you, you, you're not going to make that on your own. You've got to have help for that. There's so many things will want to make you so riled up. But this wants you to be mild and gentle. The sins of the priesthood. In the Latin church, has always been three things, and they're mentioned right here in a, in a way, lust, gluttony, and sloth. If you want to know what the problem with a preacher is, it's going to be one of those three things. Something to do with lust will come along and trip them up. Something to do with gluttony will come along to trip them up. Or finally, just pure laziness will get them. Just pure slothfulness. Well, that's some of the things that they hold in common, or separately, some of them, but the sins of the deacons and the shepherds have some positive, real positive things to say that come together. One is that uh, they need to be grave. G-R-A-V-E, grave, is the way the uh, old King James puts it, which means reverent. Faithful, yes, but reverent. Know who God is, where God is, and can speak directly to God for the people. He gives a warning against what he calls novices or new people or new Christians, just freshly freshly minted Christians sometimes suffer from pride before the fall. They have a lot of stories to tell, and when they're all told, they don't have anything else to on the plate, and so be careful of a of a resume there if you're looking for one for somebody who just was was born again last week, you know, and and that that's an expression of the sensitivity that they have to the necessity for maturity and experience and gentleness and not having all the answers to everything. The sense of that. Another one is that the preachers have a character apart from a qualification. That needs to to hammer that home with you a little bit because you need to know and remember that if you're coming into the ministry today in a church somewhere, you're going to be working yourself crazy just to be considered as a candidate, okay? candidate. You're going to have to work, write papers, and do just to be a candidate. And then if you are selected to be a candidate, it's provisional. <laughs> you've got other things you got to do, other hoops you got to jump through. And then finally, after you think you've gotten through that, then let's be on probation, but <laughs> which means we're going to watch you for a year, two or three, and see how you really are in the church as, as, a, as a pastor. And then after that probationary period, they'll consider the order of uh, elder or whatever it is in your tradition. So it takes a long time to be one now, but the qualifications are really, really not a whole lot different. It's just that it's just that the moral character i don't, i would submit to you—is not examined to the to the to the depth that it's examined here in Second Timothy and Second Timothy so no, no preacher could hold up to those qualifications 100% I mean every one of us and as a person trying to be a Christian leader or in the church we're going to find many many times when we cannot hold up to these standards by our long shot but we can try we can learn and grow from what these qualifications are said to be for the preachers of this place. That's part one. Part two is this curious liturgical expression that's hooked up to the back of this third chapter. He begins in that, well, I want to say the 11th verse. He writes, Yet we hear that some of you are living in laziness, refusing to work, and Wasting your time in gossiping. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. We command them to quiet down, get to work, earn their own living. You see how that, let me stop then. See how that ethical qualification shifts from church leaders over to people that may be in attendance there. Admirers of Christ, but not deeply committed to Him. And He says, And to the rest of you, I say, dear brothers, never be tired of doing right. Never be t- tired of doing right. Well, now, this liturgical ending here, its expression, I'm gonna, it's six parts to it. am going to give it to you like an Apostle's Creed. He says that Jesus was manifested in the flesh as a servant. That's it. Manifested as a servant. came to live with us and be our servant man. He was too justified by the Spirit. That is that he was spoken of by the Spirit. That that qualifies Jesus. You remember when he was baptized in the Jordan River? His voice from heaven spoke. This is my beloved son, you know. Spoke from heaven. This is He's justified by the Spirit. Holy Spirit is talking and justifying him. He was by his resurrection, he's the Lord. He rose from the dead. He's seen up by angels and men, it says in there. And, and then and in the fourth one he preached to Gentiles, the farthest removed from Jerusalem in Samaria and other places like that. Sodom, when he spoke to those people there. Sodom and Gomorrah out there by the sea, Phoenicia. Phoenicians, Syrophoenicians, he spoke in the Gentile world. This is significant. He believed, he was believed in by the world as opposed to heaven. That is, when he was in the world, people believed in Jesus. They had come to him looking for faith. He was something. Taken up to heaven and glorified. All right. That's the six parts of a liturgical expression tacked onto this to give it emphasis. It's like going through something in the Bible and winding up together at the end of it, we're going to have an Apostles' Creed. And this was said at the very end of the thing to, to make it certain that this was, had the foundation. Some, have, some scholars have called this to be a hymn. Let me read it from the Living Bible. It's quite true that the way to live a godly wife life is not an easy matter. But the answer lies in Christ. Okay, the answer lies in Christ. Now here we go. Who came to earth as a man. Was proved spotless and pure in his spirit. Was served by angels. Was preached among the nations. Was accepted by men everywhere. And was received up again to his glory in heaven. See, that's a hymn. even in the Greek it stands apart like a a page out of a hymnal or something. It's obvious that this is a part of the liturgy of this church that's been folded in here to give it authority and to make it special. All right, beloved. Now you have the two parts of chapter 3. What are they? Qualifications of a Christian leader. You want to know what that is? Look there. And finally, this interesting mystery of godliness, this liturgical expression, that's on the very end of that chapter 3. Two good parts to an ever unfolding story. Don't forget Mark Gungar. He'll make you laugh. YouTube, difference between men and women's brains and how they work, called A Tale of Two Brains. You may not remember Fred Sanford, the show, had a woman on there named Aunt Esther. And every time those men got out of line, Aunt Esther would take her pocketbook and get the beating on them. Well, this is kind of like Aunt Esther. You're getting a lesson from Aunt Esther this morning. You, Fred Sanford, you had better make sure that you have good character. You know how she used to do? That's that's driving home this notion. And after all is said and done, the way we behave means something. It has a definite meaning. And rules matter. You may not like them all the time, but they are important. So today we've looked at a couple of them, and I'm through and done. I want to wish you well, and I want to say to you, God bless you as you continue on the Christian journey. Maybe I'll see you again sometime soon. Let, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this word and the joy of this day. Be with us now as we go into the rest of our day. Give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.